Foundation 45 is a 501c3 nonprofit that funds counseling services for mental health, addiction, and suicide survivors. In addition to providing services, it works to break the stigma surrounding these topics. Foundation 45 recognizes that musicians, artists, and creative types are often at a higher risk for issues with mental health and addiction. The organization's goal is to serve the Dallas-Fort Worth creative community by providing free, top-tier mental health and recovery services. You can learn more about Foundation 45 at foundation45.org. Foundation 45. Live fast, die old. I'm Andrew Sherman. I'm a Texas transplant who has always been in pursuit of art as a career. I've played in bands, pursued an acting career in Hollywood, but I found it behind the lens of a camera here in Dallas, Texas. I was born in New York, I've lived in Chicago, Los Angeles, Austin, but I love Dallas. There's a magical artistic scene in Dallas that mostly goes unnoticed to the outside world. This podcast is focused on what makes it so special and the people who make it thrive artistically. If you don't live here, and even if you do, you might not have heard of them. This is the Dallas Famous Podcast. So who you gonna be? Who you gonna be when you're all gone? Who you gonna be? Who you gonna be when you're all us? Yeah. This week on the Dallas Famous Podcast, we have powerhouse Tammy Thompson. We take a deep dive into Tammy's history from her first job in Dallas at the Last Feet Record Store in Deep Ellum to today where she manages the Toadies and Sarah Jaffe. She's also a longtime member of the Kirtland Record Label, consultant for State Fair Records, and is on the advisory board for Booker T. Washington High School for the Performing Arts. We also take a moment to hear the story of Foundation 45, where she is a member of the board. Tammy is truly someone who, behind the scenes, is making great things happen here in Dallas. And it was very fun to take a peek behind the curtain to see how that happens. Buckle up for a great chat with Tammy Thompson. Okay, we are here with Tammy Thompson. Uh, Howdy, howdy. Yeah, back in the Deep Elm Community Center. I'm just going to start... Because you have so many things to ask about. When someone's Uh-oh. like, what do you do? Like, who, what's your, what do you say? Depends on the day. <laughs> it totally depends on the day. Uh, you know, what do I do is this and that in the music industry. And on a day-to-day basis, that changes. Right. I mean, not only do you have a cat herder, on your Instagram, it's I also <laughs> on the record label, yeah. Herglin, that we'll get yeah. to. Yeah, alchemist, yes. instigator, mm-hmm. cat herder. Yes. That's me. That's what I do. I mean, I like that. It's simple. It actually answers more. Well, the alchemist part, you just make magic. Is make that... magic. All right. You try to make magic. Cast right. spells, make magic. Yeah. You know. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I always ask, but I already know, but I'm going to ask anyway. You ask. didn't didn't grow up in Dallas. Hell no, I didn't grow up in Dallas. Yeah. When did you, you grow up in? uh, Omaha, Nebraska. (sighs) Little known fact, I'm a corn husker at heart. (laughs) Go Big Red, even though they've been terrible for the last 20 years. Uh, As a child of the 70s, like when I hear Mutual of Omaha, I just think of Wild Kingdom. Of course you do. I mean, did you, like, were you like a kid going, where is it? It's like, we're here, but it's not here. It was definitely not there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Anyway, I just might. Definitely not there. My connection. Okay, well, so let's just skip ahead. Like, how, why, when did you come to Dallas? Oh, just complicated life path. Uh, My grandparents uh, lived in Dallas, and so summers and Christmas... I used to come here, so I was somewhat familiar with the city. And when I was ready to leave Nebraska, it was sort of an easy starting point mm. since I had some familiarity with it. Um, I also 
have always loved horses. Music and horses are the things mm. that uh, motivate me to do everything else. And, you know, this was Texas, so it kind of had that cool Americana, Old West uh, feel. Never thought I would stay here for as long as I have, uh-huh. but here I am. It's funny because, I mean, I came from California, not that I'm from there either, but so many people are like, Where'd you, where are you from? I'm from Dallas. I'm like, wow, you, you never left. Some people left and came back, but most, it just speaks to how cool it is here. Like, I love Dallas. Like, yeah. the, you know, there are definitely things, and I don't want to take this uh, to politics because that's not what we're here to talk about, but there are <laughs> definitely things that make it hard to be in Texas. It's not To perfect. make it hard to be a woman in Texas, oh, yeah. especially. But with that said, I love it. I can go to L.A. and New York in a couple of hours, either direction. I can be in Chicago in a couple of hours. I can be anywhere in a few hours. Um, The cost of living is reasonable compared to a Chicago or a San Fran or an L.A., although I would never live in L.A. or New York. Like, I can make it here. And... Uh, I can also go ride horses when I want. And so <laughs> right. I would lose that if no. I if well, I wasn't here. I will say when I lived in California, we had horses in our backyard. Amazing. So you can do it. In fact, I lived more of a Texas quote unquote life there. You but, did? But uh, that, that's cool. So like, do you, I mean, do you have horses? Do you like I have? I do. Oh, wow. Okay. I do. Like where I do you, do. where do you keep them? Like at a stable nearby or? How far? Uh, so I have two horses. I have a retired horse that can't ride any. I can't ride anymore. Mm. And then I have a horse that I do ride. Sadly, they're on opposite ends of DFW. Uh, uh, one is at a cattle ranch in Rockwall, the one that I cannot ride anymore. Mm. And the one that I do ride is at uh, Dallas Polo Club in Red Oak. So interesting. completely opposite oh, areas. Oh, so you have a connection. That's how you got the Tim DeLauder photo shoot there? Interesting. Yeah. I, you know, what's funny about that is I interviewed him in this very room, and he, I, didn't, I did a lot of research on him. I didn't see anything about horses. And then that happened. And then Poppy Zander, who's in the band, who I also interviewed, she she was like, I've been with this man for X amount. I did not know this was part of his life, which is interesting. I don't know if it is part of his life. I got a call from Chris Penn on two Tuesdays ago in the afternoon. Tammy, I need a horse. And I just (laughs) laughed. When when you see Chris Penn's name come up on your text messages, it can be anything. And I love that. Yeah. And I was like, all right, man, what do you need? And he's like, I need a horse. Tim's doing a Dallas Morning News shoot. I was like, okay, when? Tomorrow afternoon. And I was like, what? We have to do this in 24 hours? And we did. And, you know, Allison Smith came to the rescue and was able to schedule her day to accommodate us. And as soon as I knew she was shooting it, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I will make this happen. She's brilliant. And uh, I love Tim and Chris and Julie and the whole polyphonic, tripping daisy, good records crew. Right. So anything that I can do to help them. So there's the first example of your uh, alchemy right there. That's it. That's (laughs) it, man. (laughs) So you get to Dallas. When was that in your 90s? 90s. Okay. And so like you didn't, did you know like people your age yet or is it just kind of like the family that you knew? My family. I lived with my, with my grandfather for a while because I didn't know how long I was going to be here and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I lived with Grandpa Walt for a while and, uh, he had a house in Oak Cliff and, uh, I eventually met some people, and one of them had a store in Deep Ellum that was a clothing store, and they wanted to open up something else. And I was like, oh, a record store. Like, there wasn't a record store in the heart of Deep Ellum. 
And so they opened a record store and I started working there. It was uh, the Last Beat record store. And, uh, you know, in the 90s was a really different time of selling music than it is now. Oh, yeah. Uh, we were right down from trees in the spot that I think most recently was Tiki Loco. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if something That's has across moved. the street from here. I think. Yeah, yeah, right a few blocks from here. Yeah. Um, I lived in the lofts upstairs, and Billy Gibbons was my neighbor was for a while. Wild. Like it was crazy. <laughs> it was so much fun. The record store had all kinds of in stores. We hosted. Marilyn Manson on a Friday the 13th when they were playing at Trees. We had Iggy Pop one time, and he wanted to do an in-store after his show at Trees. I couldn't kick him out. Like, he came afterwards, (laughs) and it was 6 in the morning, and I was still sitting in the record store with Iggy. And, like, who would ever kick him out? No one. Right. But also, I was like, when is this going to (laughs) end? Like, it's the endless in-store. That's funny. Uh, Wow. Yeah, it it was such a great time. Radiohead came into the store. Uh, Shirley Manson from Garbage came in when she was in her first band, which I think was called Angel Fish. Some super fan will probably correct me, and I have that <laughs> wrong. Um, I mean, all kinds of people That's came in, and we did in-stores with them. Yeah, it was so great. And so from that, uh, I kind of got entrenched for the first time in music at all. I grew up in Nebraska, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but... I didn't know anybody that was in the music industry. Mm -hmm. I did not know one person. We didn't have booking agents or music business attorneys or radio promoters. Like that just, it didn't exist in Nebraska at that time. Mm -hmm. Now we have Saddle Creek and uh, Saddle Creek, the record label that Connor Oberst and Bright Eyes and The Faint and a bunch of people like that are on. And they've kind of created a scene and there are more venues than when I grew up. But I just, it never occurred to me that you could have a job in the music industry if you weren't going to perform. And I can't sing, I can't play guitar, <laughs> damn it, I can't do any of that. Well, so, okay, so I guess I guess we got ahead, or I did, got ahead of it a little bit. So like, I mean, in Nebraska, you still obviously became a music fan, right? Or, Total music fan. Yeah. I would sit in my bedroom, I had a closet that had an attic, and I would sit in that attic and just play music all of the time. Nice. And that was, this is going to sound silly, but that was really my lifeline. Like, I didn't fit in in Nebraska. I wasn't particularly interested in a lot of the things that my friends were interested in. Mm. I was always just a little bit left of center. And I've, I'm totally okay with that. But music was literally my lifeline. But but it ended at a point of never considering that that was a way that I could make a living or an industry that I could be a part of. That just right. never occurred to me in Nebraska at that time. Sure. And so you're the record store. Like, did you, like, gravitate to it because it was music or just was kind of what happened? Or like, how did that? Both. Like, yeah. I gravitated because it was music and also yeah. it's kind of just what happened. I'm yeah. a big believer uh, in the universe and that if you let it show you where to go it's going to take you where you should go yeah and um that's kind of what happened that's cool yeah it's amazing i'm so fortunate i saw that you went to college in london i did i i was going to a a small college in nebraska and really had no idea what i wanted to do with my life 
And that college had an opportunity to do a semester abroad. And uh, so I went to London Mm. and it was amazing. Totally changed my life. I think I got a mohawk within the first week (laughs) and I got a nose piercing when, you know, nose piercings weren't on Pepsi commercials like they are today. Colored my hair. Like I did all the things right away and just immersed myself in uh, the music culture that was there. I mean, I guess we'll have to come back around, but did you... Do you think that that time in London, because I've, I've not been there, but I've just heard everyone's like, it's music is just treated differently there. Musicians are treated like with a different, like it's just viewed differently. And did you bring some of that with you back from London? Did that like absorb? I'm sure I did. I can't say, you know, the difference between how musicians are treated there so much not being a musician, but it's such a part of the culture and right. a part of the fabric of London from the Beatles to the whole punk rock explosion, which is definitely what um, I got into. Uh, it's, you know what I mean? It's just really a part of the culture. I just want to go so bad. That's like yeah. on my list, number one on my list to get out. Do it, yeah. do it. I highly encourage it. Yeah. Okay, so then how did the record, like did you, so you met a lot of people I'm guessing there like in the scene. So how did that kind of get you to the next phase of your career in music without being a musician? So the last beat record store, um, started out as a record store and then um, we opened a rehearsal space on Canton Street and the rehearsal space also had an adjoining building that was a recording studio mm. and that led to a record label which was the first time I was ever involved in releasing records so Last Beat Records put out a decadent dub team cassette, which was an early project of Jeff Lyles. Mm. We put out a record by this band called Comet, who was kind of a shoegaze. Uh, I hate titles uh, are, you know, lumping people into a genre. But just for the purpose of this conversation, that's kind of what it was, like at the time of Mercury Rev and Spiritualized. Um, and uh, what else did we put out? A band called Rubber Bullet that had... Uh, Beth Clarity singing and Earl Harvin, an amazing, amazing drummer from Dallas. Hmm. And just one thing kind of led to another. Right. And here I am. Huh. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. The so, universe, man. The universe just yeah, I putting do, me somewhere. I do believe if you put yourself out there, there's not accidents. Like you end up where you belong. But, you know, that's that's me, Mr. Optimist. Right <laughs> well, what, what came next for you after the record, like the record After stuff. Last Beat, I went right to, to Kirtland oh, Records. Oh, you did? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then how did that go? Like, did you just move on to one fold, or how did that work? Uh, Last Beat was kind of going through a transition, and I did my own transition with it and jumped over to Kirtland Records. Um, at the time, uh, Kirtland uh, had also started working with um, the Burden Brothers, a band I formerly worked with at Last Beat. And Taz and Vaden from the Burden Brothers kind of gave a shout out for me to come over with them and uh, continue working with them. And uh, to make a long story short, that's how I got to Kirtland. Got And you're still there. I'm at Kirtland on a limited basis. I had been there um, full time for a long time. Uh, COVID changed a lot of the music industry and... um, 
it kind of changed what Kirtland Records is and what it's going to be going forward. Mm. Uh, Kirtland still has a large catalog, and I help administer that and do some of the day-to-day tasks with that, as well as a bunch of other things. Mm. Okay, cool. Um, at what, I mean, okay, so did State Fair Records come into your life first, or you being a band manager come first? I was a band manager. I've been a band manager for a long time. Um, I manage the Toadies and I manage Sarah Jaffe currently. Um, And this year with the sort of changing business model of Kirtland Records, uh, I have more freelance time available. So um, my friends over at State Fair uh, asked me to come over there and do some consulting with them. Gotcha. So uh, I'm over in their offices at least once a week and most weeks that's more than once a week. Right. But yeah, it's been a blast working with them. They have a great roster and uh, the people there are all great. And it's... Uh, yeah, State Fair is a good company. Yeah. I talked with the owner. Tell me his name again. Scott. Scott, Scott Davis. Scott Davis. And um, he... It was cool because he just... Like that label does a lot more for the artists than most labels do this at this point. And it was just cool like hearing about how that all went down. Um, but, so who was your first band that you managed though? Well... That you know, it's hard to exactly say, like technically, or well, yeah, in like, practice, because sure. when you're at a at a sort of local-ish label or regional-ish label, you know, bands that were at Last Beat, bands that are on Kirtland, bands that are on State Fair Records, a lot of them don't have a manager. So, am I technically their manager? Oh. No, but am I doing a lot of management stuff? Yes, because okay. if you want things to get done and you want a record to get released properly and you want the band to have a shot, you just got to roll up your sleeves and do those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So it feels like I've been doing it for a long time. A while, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. where the cat herding comes in. That's absolutely where some yeah. of the cat herding comes in. Oh, man. Yeah, it's funny because I was, you know, I was a musician attempting to be one and, and an actor, and now that I'm on the other side, and I'm in certain rooms and I hear the conversations about how the artists, like what, you know, and I get it. They're, they're performing, they're doing this thing and you're like, all want to see that. But man, that can be hard to deal with sometimes. Well, it's a hard, you know, it's a hard situation. You have somebody who's creative and you want to support that, but you also have to have a mind for business and details because you, if you're doing a tour, you want that tour to be cost effective. So you have to do a budget. And that's a creativity sucker yeah. to do a budget, oh, yeah. right? Like nobody wants to do do that. I don't want to do it, but I want to do more than one tour. I want to do the next tour. Mm-hmm. And I want to do the third tour after that. And I want each one to be bigger and better. So somebody has to pay attention to the numbers and let the band be the band and do their job. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, somebody needs to be there to do the details because uh, it's expensive. Yeah. And people put their hearts and souls and, you know, all of their time into it. And the creative part is absolutely the most important part. But if you're not paying attention to your business, you're not going to have the chance to continue to be creative. And sometimes that's a really fine line. And sometimes artists or even coworkers don't want to deal with that part, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. it's fun to say, hey, yeah, we got this tour. But then when you start doing the nuts and bolts, it's different. And it's fun to say, hey, let's do 
a double vinyl with an insert and a pop up <laughs> right. and a whatever, yeah, right? A like, like scratch and sniff. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I've never done a scratch and sniff. I want to do that. <laughs> but then you start looking at the numbers of it and you're like, if we do this, we might go bankrupt oh, yeah. doing it. So yeah. somebody has to be on the other side, kind of trying to marry the creativity and the business part of it yeah. and making both sides but Makes I'd say, sense. I would say, not to interrupt, I would say that there's definitely some creativity in what you're doing too, because again, alchemist, I mean, like there's Alchemy a lot man. of stuff that you, <laughs> like, there's no reason that should have put, been put, able to pull, get pulled off. And then there it is, you know. hundred yeah. percent. Like there is no reason yeah. <laughs> for a lot of my life to have made sense. <laughs> oh, that's great. 100% agreed on that. That's great. Um, let's skip around a little bit. Can we talk about Foundation 45? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So tell us about that. So um, in the 2000s in Deep Ellum, there was a band called Spectre 45. It was a three-piece band. Um a guy named Frankie was their singer, and Frankie was a good friend of mine. He was a good friend of everybody in Deep Ellum. Um, if you go out to a club at night and you see five people and you you know, you know want to avoid four of them, Frankie was never that guy. Frankie was always the guy that you wanted to go give a hug to, say hello to, always had a smile. Like He was just a great, a great human being and a great front person in a band. Sadly, he took his life. And a couple months after that, um, one of the other bandmates took their life, which is just devastating and was devastating to the whole music community. Um, Not just people that knew knew Frankie and Adam, but to the larger music community. And so a guy named Anthony was the third person in Spectre 45 obviously super devastated by watching his friends lose their life. And uh, I don't know how he had the strength and the wherewithal to do it, but uh, he started Foundation 45. And uh, I'm on the board of Foundation 45, and we provide free mental health services to people over 18. And what makes our organization different is a couple of things. Um, One, Our director um, of services is a guy named Pete Thomas. And Pete used to be the singer in Slow Roosevelt, another Deep Ellum band of the 90s, Mm. uh, kind of a harder rock-sounding band. So Pete gets it. He understands um, what it's like to be in music. He understands what it's like to be coming up in Deep Ellum or a music community or a service industry-type community. Mm -hmm. He's lived that. And... um, our, the second thing that makes us unique is that our counselors are on staff. So we have counselors that we have vetted and think are great for our purposes, and we pay them to do the counseling that they provide for people. So we're not sending someone off to a third party. We're not writing someone a check and saying, here's some money to go get counseling. We are actually providing it. And Foundation 45 has uh, in-person meetings um, in the Dallas area, as well as um, Zoom meetings post-COVID. Uh, we still have kept some Zoom and online things for people that can't attend a meeting. Hmm. Um, you can see us out at a bunch of shows. We just tabled at a show at the Longhorn Ballroom last week with Joshua Ray Walker, Vandaliers, yep. and Jarrett Reddick. That's a great one. Yeah. That's a really good one. And we had a table at the Deep Ellum uh, <laughs> Foundation's Music 
festival that was just a couple of weeks ago. So if you see us mm-hmm. out, please come up and say hi. Uh, we have an annual event called Art of the Guitar where we um, have the community uh, donate guitars and then we give them to local artists and creatives and ask them to transform them uh, into works of art. And then we auction those off uh, to raise funds uh, to provide our free mental health care. Cool. And and uh, I'm going to have links uh, in the show notes, but if somebody wants to get help, they can just click on that link. It'll yep. be pretty easy Absolutely. to figure out. Yep. Okay. Yep. Awesome. That's great. All That's- the info, our class, uh, class schedule, therapy schedule, rather, uh, sessions, whatever you want to call it, it's all online. Uh, there's an Instagram and a Facebook and uh, foundation45.com. So there's info at all of those places. And like I said, we try to table at a bunch of events and let people know uh, that we're out there. The motto is live fast and die old. So oh, um, nice. hopefully we'll help people yeah. do that. And it's a great uh, cause. I'm, I'm yeah. glad that you guys are doing it, that somebody's doing it. But it's, it's, it's so important, yeah. especially in the music community. Yeah, especially artists. Like it seems like they're already, they're, they're, they're not artists because they're normal. You know, sure. Usually. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I do know some stable artists. They're not young usually. Yeah. <laughs> they figured it out. So. Well, it's, I mean, it's tough, right? It's tough yeah. growing up. And not even growing up, addiction and things like that happen to people that are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. These are ongoing problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully we're moving towards it being okay to talk about it and it being okay to ask for help and it being okay to go and get help. Uh, You know, in the past, those things were hidden and you didn't want to tell someone uh, that you needed help. And so you didn't and you ended up potentially an addict or suicidal. And that's all of what Foundation 45 is about. Let's talk about it. Let's find a way to get help and uh, try to make a difference. Very, very good. I'm, I'm really happy that that's in the world. Because yeah. We need it. Thank we you for it. bringing that up. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, of course. Um, I guess I should ask you when you sleep because... <laughs> What's sleep? I mean, what? Define sleep, man. I mean, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, so you're an advisor on the Booker T. Washington. So, I'm, yeah, I'm also on Booker T. Washington Performing and Visual Arts High School uh, Advisory Board. And being a performing arts high school, there's a gap in between what DISD provides for the school and what the school needs. Mm-hmm. And so the advisory board raises funds to bridge that gap. And that gap could be, say there's a student that wants to audition at Juilliard, but they can't afford a flight and travel to go uh, to the audition. Okay. Booker T uh, would provide, potentially provide uh, funding to help them. Say that there is a violinist who is on a limited income and can't get the instrument that they need the advisory board may step in and help with that. Say that there is an educator that wants to go to New York for the summer and see some off-off-Broadway plays. Uh, We might provide travel funds to help facilitate that. So, yeah, definitely try to bridge the gap in our performing arts high school and provide the students and the faculty uh, with the tools and resources that they need. That's that's another, I mean... You're such a good person. <laughs> no, these are all Mom, great. Mom, did you hear that? Yeah, I'm a good person. Yeah, no, these are all such good causes. And, you know, young people and the arts is, is so important. Um, you I know. would have given anything, <sighs> Andrew, to have a Booker T as a high school oh, option. Oh, tell me about it. 
First of all, I probably wouldn't have made it because you have to audition to get in. And <laughs> right. I don't know what skill set I would have had right. either now or at that time to get in. But that school is just phenomenal. I encourage everybody to look at the school and uh, go to performance if you can. If you get an opportunity to tour the school, please do it. There's magic in those halls. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the students that have come from Booker T, Erica Badu, Nora Jones, Edie Brickell, uh, Roy Hargrove, the list is just endless. Yeah, Kennedy Davenport, a drag queen. like <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. And it, they're not just raising artists, but they're really raising good human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just can't say enough good things about uh, the school, and I'm so honored to be able to help. Yeah, it's cool. I've, I've worked with a few young bands that are still going there, and it's every one of those kids is a little bit like phenomenal. A, yeah, just the the talent, but also like you said, like they're just good people. They know how to be respectful or relate to other people, which is a good way to get through this life. As you can yeah. figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, let me ask you this: so you are managing some, you know, not a lot, but some big acts. Yeah. Um, like, how do you do? Like, is there room for you to take on more acts? Like, how would someone, if somebody wanted to work with you, is that something that's possible? I mean, I'm always open to things. You have to be mm-hmm. in this industry, and especially at this time, uh, to make it to survive. Like, you have to be open to things. Uh, I don't have a ton of time on my plate, but with that said, I'm always available. And if somebody emails me, or Insta messages me a question, I try to answer. Right. Uh, and if I can help, then I will. If I can't, maybe I know somebody who can. Um, I don't have enough free time that I'm out looking sure. for new artists. Um, between the work of uh, Toadies and Sarah and State Fair Records and the Kirtland work that I still do, and, you know, I pick up random things. Um, I'm working on a set of shows with Sandra Bernhard, which I oh, never I would that. have yeah. expected, but a New York agent friend of mine had some dates coming through Texas, and so I jumped in to help on those. So I, I never know what I'm going to do next, and I luckily don't have to go look yet, knock on wood, <laughs> like for what that what that is going to be. But with that said, I'm always open. Like if somebody is amazing, I want to know about it. And if I can't help them, maybe I know somebody who can. Right. Right. Is there something that we that you do that we missed that we didn't bring up that you want to talk about? Mm, no, I think we got okay. it. Did we get it all? I, I, I mean, I don't know. It seems like there's like, you know, like an onion. <laughs> we keep finding more layers to <laughs> an this. An onion, I'm going to make you cry. <laughs> well, that's it, exactly. Not a great analogy. <laughs> I don't have a script. No, obviously. that isn't. You don't know me that well. That's a really good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, many layers, and you'll make people cry. Yeah, and I'll make you cry. Okay. Well, like we can have That could be made. a new business card. I need to figure out how yeah. to work that in. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else? I mean, I know, like you said, you got the Sandra Bernhardt stuff coming up. I know that Sarah's doing a show at Kessler and some other places. Sarah's got a Kessler show, an Austin show at the Paramount Theater. Um, Toadies have, we always do an annual December run. Uh, so we're doing San Antonio, Houston, Austin, Dallas, not in that order, mm-hmm. uh, the week between uh, Christmas and New Year's. Yep. So that's coming up. The Toadies have a new record that mm. will be out sometime next year. I don't know what label is going to release it yet. Oh. They went to Chicago uh, last, well, this August, September, um, and recorded with Steve Albini. Whoa. And I know. Wow, that's cool. Amazing, right? And I have to say, sorry, Steve, I'm going to say this. He's the most lovely guy 
Why are you sorry to say that? Well, I don't know if his <laughs> reputation, if anybody would say describe Steve Albini uh, in an adjective, if lovely, would would necessarily be the first word. Right. Literally a lovely guy. I walked into his studio one day when the guys were recording, and he was like, hi, Tammy, can I make you a fluffy white? And I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but if you're asking if you can make me something, the answer is absolutely yes. So yeah. he made this delicious coffee. Um, we had scheduled that record to be recorded a couple years ago, and thanks to COVID, like so many other things, it had to be postponed mm-hmm. and postponed again and postponed another time. And throughout it, Steve and his staff uh, just couldn't have been easier to work with. Mm, uh, the session went amazing. Uh, we're already talking about what we're going to do next with him. And uh, Vaden goes back to Chicago on Thursday of this week to master wow. the record. Exciting. I know. I'm stoked. I'm going to get to shoot the, the Dallas show. Yeah. That. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, it's going to hey, be great. Yeah. I mean, Tammy, you are a force. You do so many great things <laughs> for the community as well, well as thank you. for some really great bands. So um, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Super fun, man. You turn the tables on me. Usually <laughs> I set these things up and then. Well, that's uh, how we, that's kind of how we, well, we met at the show, but like then you're like, oh, can you put John, uh, John Dufalo on? And I'm like, yeah, but I want you to be. <laughs> and you're like, what? And yeah. here I am. And here you are. And it worked. I feel like it was entertaining and the was people it? need to I know. So. Well, we'll let the audience judge. Okay. But I will say that like, I think it was important to talk about some of the stuff that you're doing because it's really cool. And thank you. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah. My pleasure. I'd like to thank my guest, Tammy Thompson, for joining me today. You can check out all the amazing stuff she's doing in the show notes. Thank you again to the Deep Ellum Community Center for letting us record there. Theme song, Unstoppable by Celine Nerala. Thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, follow all the good stuff, and share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.